2022, streamers will be able to buy NFTs on their TV, watch all of the Winter Olympics on Peacock Premium, and have video chat parties on their smart TV. All this, and HBO proves it doesn't need Amazon to succeed. Listen on to find out more. Welcome to the first edition of the Inside the Stream podcast for 2020-22. I'm Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin greeting you at the top. Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media. Hey, Colin, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, and Happy New, New Year to all of our listeners. Uh, we did 47 podcasts last year, Will. 47. <laughs> Seems like a lot. Wow. <laughs> that means we only missed five weeks. That's pretty impressive. A couple of them were at the end of the year. Yeah, don't know when the others were. Yeah, I don't remember where the others were, but uh, but hopefully we can, we can do the same again this year. Um, but we've got a pretty packed uh, packed show today. We're going to sort of be doing around the hall, and there were several news stories that sort of bubbled up to us this week that we want to talk about. Uh, but we're going to start off with a couple of short pieces, right? Yeah, and you were reading about virtual MVPDs this week and wanted to give an update on that front. I do, and uh, our friends at Moffitt Nathanson, they do their cord-cutting monitor report, and they're saying that they think that there are now 14.2 million virtual MVPD customers, or at least at the end of the third quarter, they're saying there were 14.2 million at the end of that quarter, and I've, I've got to say that the, um, the 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 leaders they say are Hulu plus live TV, and that's that's pretty easy to count because Disney states those numbers each quarter, so it's very easy to know that. And they're saying that YouTube TV is the is the second. Um, I don't know how they're getting their YouTube TV number, Will, because you, uh, I'm afraid Google doesn't really tell us how YouTube TV is doing, at least not with any regularity, and they haven't given us an update in quite a while. So, but uh, anyway, those are the two front runners. Sling TV would would probably be the number three in that list. Uh, so a pretty good growth over the last year, uh, two and a half million by my count, something like two and a half million, maybe three million added on to the number of, of virtual MVPDs, but uh, nowhere near the number of people that are leaving traditional pay television but still pretty good growth yeah there was a time not that long ago remember where growth in the virtual side was actually outpacing losses on the traditional side yeah but those days seem like they're long gone now yeah yeah they are long gone and and of course we were where we had uh an increase in the price, a pretty steep increase in the price of Hulu Plus Live TV. We had two price increases last year. We'll probably see price increases again this year in those. So uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how they do this year. Yeah. But anyway, what uh, what what hit your radar? Well, on my radar this week was um, news that NBC Universal has built a new first-party data platform. And it includes data on 150 million individual users, and that is from 50 million households. So they call this uh, first-party data platform NBC Unified. And um, it's important because it brings together user data across the whole NBC Universal portfolio. 
and that means that advertisers and agencies can then um, basically go into a quote-unquote clean room or you know kind of a dashboard way of accessing all of that data and be able to bring their own data to that and then be able to create their own individual target segments for their ad campaigns. So it helps them to be more efficient in terms of how they reach uh, NBC users across all the different NBC universal touch points. And that, of course, is really important to advertisers because they want to get the highest return on investment for their ad dollars and, of course, are more and more outcome focused. So trying to figure out specifically what an ad drives in terms of a particular conversion. So um, NBC Universal has been working on this for a while. They've done a whole bunch of other stuff related to data and their first party data. And this seems like the next evolution of that. Yeah, it sure does. And boy, it, that could end up being uh, really powerful, particularly when we think about what's happening in the in uh, February of this year, which is the Olympics and we'll, uh, the Winter Olympics. But uh, I think we'll be getting to that in just a little bit, right? We will. And you, so let's get into the podcast itself. We're kind of blurring a little bit because we have a couple of news items and now we're going to do three more stories. But you were following developments at CES this week related to smart TVs, favorite, one of our favorite topics, and wanted to give an update on what you learned. I sure do. And I usually, well, I keep, you know, as you know, I keep a pretty close eye on what's going on with smart TVs and with co connected TV devices. So I did a sort of roundup. I listened into a lot of the uh, presentations that were given at CES. They all took place uh, on, on Tuesday. And there were a couple of things that really popped out. Nothing, I would say, very revolutionary, more evolutionary. But uh, nonetheless, I see smart TVs continuing to make progress. And they fixed at least one thing, which others, I think, have done a poor job in implementing. But I'll get to that in just a second. So the first thing that sort of jumped out was, um, was Samsung has made a change to its smart hub. It's redesigned its smart hub. And I, before I, I'd say exactly what they've done, um, last year, Google and Amazon both updated their TV interfaces. And what they did was they basically segmented off the top third of the, of the screen. And what they're putting there is promotional material for content that they think you would like. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that there's any targeting going on here. I actually think people are just paying to put things, to advertise things to us in that, in that slot. And it takes up a pretty big part of the screen. Well, Samsung has basically done the same thing. Samsung TV Hub now looks pretty much like Fire TV and pretty much like um, Google TV with this big advertisement at the top, big rotating advertisement at the top. Um, so I think that's uh, that's uh, a change. I'm not sure it's a great change. Uh, I have to say that using Google TV and Fire TV as I as I do um, in my sort of regular viewing, uh, but I find both still very usable. I tend to not pay attention too much to those big advertisements, but I suppose occasionally I do click on them. Um, so I don't think it really impedes the usability very much. Uh, and maybe it does actually end up pushing content to me that I might otherwise have missed. So 
Uh, I think that's probably uh, a good change. There was another reason why Samsung needed to do this as well, because they had, um, they've just come up with a gaming hub, as, as has LG, by the way, and they needed to provide access to this cloud gaming platform directly from that page, and they're doing that from a ribbon on the left uh, of, of that page. Um, but it looks pretty good, so that'll be on 2022 TVs. No word if it will be updated to 2021 TVs. And let me the just stop you there for a sec. Yeah, let me just sure. stop you there for a sec, Colin, and ask you, um, do you think this represents some convergence in, or best practice of UIs across these different smart TVs? It sounds like they're pretty similar now based on your um, you know, using them, you think we're sort of at a point where everybody kind of recognizes what the, the best way to present content is? So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of hesitating here. You are right. There is convergence. They, they do look fairly similar. You know, there's positioning of, of, of some of the uh, icon ribbons is different on the different displays. Um, I, I, maybe maybe it's better to say that I see convergence in business models in that uh, all of them are recognizing that there's money to be made by promotional placement in these large third, third screen advertisements that they're now placing. Um, so I think there's certainly convergence there. But as I say, I don't really see it impacting usability too much and it may actually work in helping you find content that you wouldn't ordinarily have found so yep yep definitely some convergence um but of course roku who's one of the biggest providers out there looks nothing like this it's a much uh, as we know it's a much simpler interface and they certainly haven't made any changes to that at least they haven't announced any about making any changes to that right so sorry go ahead and uh on to your next item ces items Next up is watch party functionality. And this is once again, this is uh, Samsung and LG. Both of them have introduced uh, watch party features. They're both calling it watch together. And basically what you can do here is you can actually watch something, you know, a show or a movie or something with friends. And this watch party functionality has been around for a while, but the problem is that it, in the implement, most of the implementations that we see today, you can't see the other people that are watching and you can't talk to the other people that are watching. So for example, with Disney's watch party feature, all you can do is throw up emojis. And frankly, it's not very interesting. So <laughs> and I've tried it. I've watched stuff with uh, my daughter who's down in LA. Uh, but this really, I think this could be something that people will want to take a look at because apparently with this solution, you can actually see and chat in real time with the people, other people that are watching this. Uh, so I, I really like this and I'm, I can guarantee you I will be giving it a try just as soon as it shows up on my late model, but not 2022 model Samsung TV. Uh, hopefully it will. And, um, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll see how that works. Now, it's not clear to me exactly how this will work. They haven't spelled out the details, but I'm betting it's got something to do with smart smartphones, that you'll be using the smartphone to sort of uh, ca capture your picture and your image and your, and your voice. And that's how it ends up getting up on the TV. 
but neither have said this and they've also not said how they're going to synchronize the video so I don't know how that will work but that is all known technology so hopefully they'll be able to make that work fairly seamlessly but uh, anyway I thought that was a uh, pretty interesting are you interested in doing a watch party with your kids Will? Well I haven't done a watch party Colin I have to admit and I'm sort of intrigued how a watch party is going to work on a connected TV without a keyboard so it sounds like you're suggesting the phone is going to play an integral role yeah um, but I'm not sure I quite understand how that works either uh, not quite as convenient as having a video playing in a browser and having a you know like a window open in the right side essentially a chat window which I think is what the watch party functionality has been like in Netflix for example yeah yeah and and that's and the way this will appear on the screen is sort of a, not a little bit less than a third, it looks like a quarter of the screen will be your friends. You'll be able to see your friends and hear your friends and hear what they're saying through the TV speaker. So um, it's that's the functionality that I personally <laughs> want. I want to be able to tell my friends to be quiet so that I can listen to the right. movie and <laughs> and also, you know, comment on games. And that that's where I think it'll really come into its own when you're watching a game. Uh, so the next thing that, that sort of jumped out at me, and I, this was kind of uh, really interesting. I was listening to the Hisense, which is uh, Hisense is the number three smart TV manufacturer, the number five smart TV manufacturer in the US today. I was listening to their presentation. They announced a whole bunch of new TVs, um, and Hisense was an early partner, Hisense and TCL were both early partners of Roku in the Roku partner program and most of their uh, smart TVs, early smart TVs were all powered by Roku. But in this presentation of all the 2022 TVs, every single one is powered by Google TV. There was not a mention of Roku during that press conference at all. So it looks looks to me like uh, Roku is uh, fading away as as Hisense primary pay, uh, smart TV partner. The company does say it's going to continue to ship Roku existing Roku TVs, but it looks like all their new TVs are going to be Google TV. So that's good progress for Google TV. Um, not that uh, not that. Roku is standing still. They announced a new partnership with Sharp. They'll be sh shipping some Sharp TV lines uh, using Roku TVs. Uh, Sharp will be, that is. Uh, but Sharp is the eighth most popular smart TV brand in the US. So I guess it goes a little bit a little bit to make up the high sense loss. Uh, but I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. And it's very important for Roku. The smart TVs are very important. They are the things that I think are really helping drive the growth in Roku Active users. And Roku Active users is very important in getting people to watch the Roku channel. And that's how they're earning a lot of their money these days through the advertising that's being carried on the Roku channel. So this is, this is a big deal. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how big a deal the loss of Hisense is. Yeah, and to your point, Colin, Roku has lots and lots of different TV OEMs that carry the Roku OS. So I don't know what specific share uh, Hisense accounts for. Um, but you know, Roku has been very smart over the years in diversifying and have, having lots of different partners. So presumably, it's not a huge share for them. 
Pres- well, you know, uh, as I say, Hisense has got about a 5% share of the US uh, smart TV installed base. So it's a significant share. Number, they're, they're, they're the, num- the number five, I think. And the last thing that really jumped out at me, this should warm the cockles of your heart, Will, because I know you're a big fan of NFTs. Samsung is the first smart TV manufacturer to jump into the much-hyped NFT uh, space. It says um, it's going to allow users of its 2022 smart TVs to discover, purchase, and trade digital artwork, uh, which I think is pretty interesting. The company says that it, it will represent the, images, the image quality uh, of the artwork faithfully on the TV screens. Now, it's not clear if they're going to be working with existing NFT markets like Nifty Gateway or OpenSea, or if they'll be creating their own ga- uh, their own uh, market for NFTs. Uh, but there you go. If you if you want to shop for digital artwork, you're going to be able to do it right on your 2022 Samsung Smart TV. I, I guess the question is: Is there enough? Are there enough people active in buying and selling NFTs that a share of them on Samsung, Samsung's marketplace, creates a big enough opportunity? I don't. I don't really know the answer to the question. As you said, I, I am a fan of NFTs under certain circumstances, as I've said before, where there's a yeah. clear and meaningful rights holder. Um, but uh, but I'm curious. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Whether there's e- really enough of an installed base and enough activity there for that to make sense. Yeah, but there's an interesting alignment here because Samsung has this thing called ambient um, ambient mode on the TVs. And uh, in this mode, it will display, you know, artwork and, and the local weather and stuff like that. So maybe there's a good alignment here. You, but you, you buy um, an NFT artwork and that can be shown then in the ambient mode on your smart TV <laughs> and you know you're turning it into a digital picture frame yeah um, so I don't know but uh, but anyway that's that's what those are the major things I saw with the smart TVs this year at CES 2022 yeah uh, so what uh, well, I think we're going to talk about peacock now I hinted at it earlier uh, what's going on with peacock yeah, so I'm going to continue my NBC Universal theme here today on today's podcast, uh, and also note that Peacock and NBCU announced yesterday. We're recording here on Thursday that Peacock is going to carry every minute of every live event at the upcoming Winter Olympics starting next month from Beijing, um, all streamed on Peacock, uh, and that felt like a really smart move to me. And you and I have actually talked about this on the podcast in the past. We were, I think, both lamenting how Peacock treated the summer games from Tokyo in that they didn't carry all of the events live. uh, And they also were even delayed in putting up events and also delayed in putting up clips. So it was more common to see clips posted on YouTube than it was to see them right after an event ended than to see them on the Peacock site, which seemed sort of incongruous. And uh, also, I think from some of the reviews and press that went around during that time created a lot of frustration on the part of Peacock users who had an expectation that they were going to be getting all the events through their Peacock subscription, but then weren't able to. So this seems like it addresses that and 
also really gives Peacock a marquee event to help build its paid viewership base. Um, Peacock has said, or NBCU has said in the past, that Peacock, I think, has around 54 million signups at this point. They've never really specified how many users they have or how many of those are paid subscribers. But, you know, the Olympics is obviously one of the most marquee events of the year. And for them to be able to articulate clear messaging that every minute of every event is going to be available to Peacock subscribers um, feels meaningful. And it feels like it could really drive a lot of activity for the service. And it also seems like it opens the door for them to put some content on the free Peacock tier and then encourage those free users to upgrade to the premium version of Peacock in order, in order to f see the final match or the final run or you know the gold medal uh, tier, et cetera. So, um, so all of that I thought seemed very smart uh, for Peacock, Colin. And I know you lamented also the summer games. So I'm assuming that you feel similarly positive as well. I sure do. I, you know, I th uh, in my mind they woefully bungled the Olympics on Peacock. It was a great opportunity to grow that. And in fact, originally in 2020, when they launched it, they intended to go nationally just before the Olympics in July. And of course it was delayed. They still went national, but they, they were definitely going to be launching on the back of that. So if that had been the planned coverage <laughs> in right. the 2020 launch, I right. think it would, would have been a real bust as it was, I think, for them in... Uh, early 2021 when they when well in mid 2021 when the Olympics actually did occur this I think will do much better for them um, there will well I think there are 50 million or so homes these days without a traditional pay TV subscription right. and uh, a lot of those homes I bet will be interested in watching at least some of the Winter Olympics and uh, you know the l lowest the lowest subscription level uh, for peacock i think is six bucks a month and i think there'll be a lot of people who think that that's a pretty good deal to sign up for peacock for a couple of months to watch that to watch the olympics or watch as much olympics as they want i know i certainly will uh, and i might even consider signing up at the at the premium level to avoid some of the ads although it's not clear exactly how much yeah. of the ads i will avoid in the olympics coverage um, so I think it's this is the right thing to do. Um, uh, now, our, our listeners will probably remember in, in years past that NBC has made all of the coverage available live online for free. And uh, I think now that there are so many people that are relying on uh, streaming for their primary entertainment, I think it's pretty reasonable for them to now not make that available for free. That content has to be paid for, it's very expensive. So putting it inside a peacock, inside of the inside the paywall is probably the right thing to do here. So I think thumbs up, I think this will help Peacock tremendously in the early part of this year and hopefully that will spur them to tell us how many people have actually subscribed and not just signed up. So um, I'm excited. I'm, I think the, co the coverage should be a lot better than the Summer Olympics. Yeah, it seems to bring the, um, the Peacock strategy more into alignment with the Paramount Plus strategy as well. Yeah. We've talked in the past, Paramount Plus includes 
live CBS network streams. And that, of course, means that access to NFL games is included within Paramount+. Plus. That plus other original content have been big drivers for Paramount Plus's growth. And Peacock has not enjoyed that same level of access to marquee sports content that is also broadcast on NBC Universal and the cable network. So this seems like a real positive uh, for them. Yeah, I think so too, Will. So uh, last, the last thing I think we're going to talk about here is HBO and HBO Max. Um, now, listeners will remember the last year in the third quarter, um, HBO finally got what it wanted, which was to withdraw from Amazon's channels program. So all the people that were signed up for HBO inside of Amazon channels basically were cut off in, in that quarter. And they actually saw subscribers drop 1.8 million in in the third quarter and it was widely believed that a lot of that drop drop was to do with the fact that suddenly all of those subscribers inside of amazon channels went away uh, well hbo and hbo max they uh, warner media has pre-released the numbers for hbo and hbo max and they say that it has now reached 73.8 million global subscribers that's a little bit over what they were forecasting. They were forecasting 73. And good growth on the last quarter, 4 million, 4.4 million up in, the, in Q4. And, and what that says to me is two things. It says that, first of all, uh, they have now recovered fully from the loss of those Amazon Channels subscribers. It looks to me like most of those people just when they lost lost access inside a channel, just went ahead and signed up outside of channels directly to HBO Max. Um, so I guess that's the, the first thing. So they've recovered that. But the second thing I think most importantly is it really shows that HBO really doesn't need Amazon Channel's help in marketing its its content and its services. Uh, it has good enough name recognition that People are going to sign up for it. However, HBO Max makes it available. And uh, that's all to the good. It's probably better, I think, in the long run for people to have a direct relationship with HBO if they're HBO fans. And uh, it's a great app, and I think uh, it's, a, it's a good way to go. So anyway, good. that's probably very good news for Warner Media and HBO. Certainly better for HBO to have those direct relationships rather than to have Amazon in the middle, as you and I have discussed in the past. And splitting that revenue, yeah. <laughs> splitting that revenue and also not getting access to all that user data that um, that they get if it's running directly off of the surface. So, you bet. Uh, so that's a positive. Yeah, um, it does seem like HBO had a strong year in 21. And to your point, probably one of the few services that are big enough to be able to operate without Amazon's help. Um, you know, you think of Disney, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, there, there are uh, um, HBO. There are not that many that can operate without the assistance of, H of, uh, of Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And distribution, boy, this, this yeah. issue about distribution, Will, is going to be so critical for, for very many services in 2022. Uh, with the market maturing as it is, uh, they'll be looking for all the help that they can get. They'll be, I'm sure, there'll be lots of them will be enlisting fasts and 
Amazon channels and the Roku channel and, and all sorts of places to help with the distribution and help find new customers. Um, and there's what I say there's one other thing that this sort of indicates, and that is that uh, HBO took a bit of a risk um, with uh, with the first run movies and uh, yeah. looks like that paid off. It looks like it's really driven subscribers up a lot for HBO Max. And let's see if the switch to a 45 day window, exclusive window for theaters in 2022 will have a negative impact on those subscribers in this year as well. So I'm betting it probably won't, that 45 days is not that long a wait to get that first run movie, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I think on that note, we'll wrap it for this week's podcast, first one of 2022. We will indeed, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. Likewise. Good chatting, Colin. Happy New Year again to our listeners, and we'll see you again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.